Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we are going to look at scriptures from Proper 26. Proper 26, very much a continuation of Proper 25. In Proper 25, we looked at Haggai, Zechariah, Ezra, and Nehemiah. We looked at the book of Revelation and the book of Matthew. Guess what? We're going to do the same thing again. This time, Nehemiah and Ezra, two history books, two history books. The last history book, by the way, is Esther. So you go Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther to close out the history corpus, if you will. And then we'll look at some of the middle chapters in Revelation and then continue our study with Jesus in Matthew 13 and 14. All right, back to Nehemiah. Now, this, as I said last time, is post-exilic. They are returning from exile. The exile occurred in 587 B.C., actually started about 600, 605 B.C. The Babylonians were raised up by God. Go look at Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk, raised by God to bring destruction upon Israel. Why? 2 Kings 25, 2 Chronicles 36, because of the uh, disobedience of the people of Israel repeatedly. God sent prophets, they would not listen, and so he sent them into exile. But God is always about restoration, so he is now going to restore them through the leadership of Ezra, who's going to teach them the law and the word of the Lord, and Nehemiah, who is going to rebuild the wall. The temple is also being rebuilt, Haggai, Zechariah. The temple is also going to be rebuilt, but the wall around Jerusalem has to be rebuilt. It was destroyed during the uh, termination of uh, Jerusalem by the Babylonians. All right. Now, look at your scriptures in this post. You have Nehemiah 5 and 6 and 12 and 13, and then you have Ezra 7 and 9. Now, there's a lot of information in this section, a lot of study in this section. As I've told you repeatedly in this course that we're having together, these readings that we have, our time together, you can read the text straight out and you can get something out of it. The more study helps that you have, the more that you're going to learn. So the more study you do, if you have time to do that, the more that you will learn and that will affect, I believe, I hope, I pray, it certainly helps me in my relationship with the Lord. Chapter 5, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is helping the poor people and he is just a very, very godly person, and he is going to help people that are poor. They do not have the means to continue to survive. So he's a everyman, if you will. He is working and um, being led by God to help all people, not just a few. Chapter 6, remember we talked about opposition to the uh, rebuilding in chapter 4. We've got some more opposition in chapter 6. And uh, folks are trying to stop what they are doing. Remember, when you do that and it's the will of God, you're going against God Almighty. Not a very smart thing to do, okay? In verse 15, the wall was completed on the 50, uh, 25th day of Elul in 52 days. The wall was completed in 52 days. So the opposition, the opposers were opposed. When all our enemies heard about this and the surrounding nations saw it, our enemies lost their self-confidence. They obviously lost confidence because they couldn't scale the wall and destroy them anymore. 
or because the wall was down, so they just walked right through, because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. It's a great way to live your life that what you do is with the help of God and people know that God is on your side. It's a very important point. God is on your side. God is with you. He is going to fight for you. He is going to repair the wall. He is going to restore. He's going to bring the captives back. Enjoy that reading. Nehemiah chapter 12. This is on Tuesday. Nehemiah chapter 12, 27. It's kind of quite eclectic. He's dedicating the wall of Jerusalem. He's dedicating it so there's there are choirs and there's music and there's thanksgiving to God. Uh, and what they want to do is give God glory for all the ways that he has prospered them and blessed them and caused uh, the opposers, uh, those people in opposition, those people who are trying to stop the building of the wall, to thank God that he has taken care of his people. In chapter 13, we have Nehemiah's final reforms, 4 through 22. And again, Nehemiah is, is putting together a poop group of people led by the Spirit of God in such a way that these people can now survive under this new leadership of Nehemiah and those that come after Nehemiah. And we have to have rules in place and we have to have laws in place, ideally under the leadership of God Almighty, led by the Spirit of God, so that we can prosper in that situation, okay? We go back to Ezra chapter 7, Ezra, Nehemiah. Ezra chapter 7, 11 through 26. Chapter 7, 11 through 26. He says, um, 26. Oh, he says at the end of 25, and you are to teach anyone who does not know them, okay? This is the uh, administering justice, the laws of God, all who know the laws of God. You are to teach anyone who does not know them. So Ezra's going to teach them the law. He's going to teach them the r- rules. He's going to show them what God has said. Whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king must surely be punished by death. That's pretty strong. Banishment, confiscation of property, or imprisonment. It is In those days, it was not a wise thing to do for a community of people to disregard the word of the Lord. You couldn't keep the people together. They could not prosper. They could not do well. They could not defend themselves. They could not uh, triumph. They could not be prosperous. So someone has to share the the word of the Lord, has to share the law, and then they have to enforce the law. Okay, They have to have consequences to not following the law. Ezra chapter 7, he talks about those kinds of things. And in chapter 8, 21 to 36, they return to Jerusalem. And in chapter 9, we have Ezra's prayer about intermarriage. So this is a lot more complicated. So in Ezra and Nehemiah, they have this gargantuan uh, movement of God whereby God raises up Ezra and Nehemiah to uh, take care of the people and bring them back to prosperity with the tremendous loss they had at the hands of the Babylonians. Now they're coming back together. They need to be taught the law. They need to rebuild. They need to put reforms in place. They need to get back to the things of the Lord. These two men, among others, help them to do that. And then there's this prayer about intermarriage. So if you're intermarrying, 
between those that know God and those don't, uh, you have a very, very big problem. And that is what Ezra is talking about at the in chapter 9. Okay? Look at verse 15, a beautiful verse to round out this section. O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. Remember I talked about remnant last time, last week. Here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it, not one of us can stand in your presence. So they recognize that God is great and that God is just, he's loving, but he does show us that we are great sinners and we cannot stand in his presence um, without confessing our sins and knowing how small we are as compared to how great God is. So we are accentuating the greatness of God in Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, the post-exilic works, both history and prophecy, uh, the prophets, and we are thanking God that he has restored us and brought us back. Those of you that have uh, come back from the dead, as it were, or your lives have been dramatically changed can certainly appreciate these chapters as God brings his people back to himself. Now, in Revelation chapter 10, we went through several chapters last week, if you were with us. We hope that you will join us every week. In chapter 10, we are now getting into a difficult section. And that is the section that has to do with the very hard to understand and sometimes difficult to interpret sections of Revelation, which are not easy. Now, remember the book of Revelation is the last book that was written in the Bible. It is a difficult book for most Christians because it assumes that you know everything that precedes it. The person needs to have a great understanding of the Old Testament because he makes lots of references to the Old Testament. The person needs to have a great understanding of the Gospels and Jesus' ministry. And the person needs to have a great understanding of the people that came after Jesus and before the book of Revelation. That is people like Paul, people like Peter, John, who wrote Revelation, but he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, James, Jude, etc. Then, secondly, the reason it's so difficult, it has language that we're not used to. It has language and imagery that we are not used to, so we don't have a good handle on what it means, to be perfectly honest. So in these chapters that you see here that are listed in this post, chapter 10 and chapter 11 are very difficult. Very difficult. Okay? Let me just read a couple of verses that I've got something positive out of. He said, the seventh angel, I don't know who the seventh angel is, sounded his trumpet, I know what a trumpet is, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, he will reign forever and ever. So eventually, when Jesus comes back again, the world is this world, this earth, this, this matter, this, this, the kingdom of, of man, the city of man, as it were, um, is going to be the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus is ultimately going to be the victor. That's a very, very important point. The 24 elders in verse 16, remember we read these great scriptures in Revelation 4 and 5 as they were worshiping the Lamb and worshiping God. Verse 18, the nations were angry and your wrath has come. Remember the wrath of God, the judgment of God at the end. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. So there's going to be a judgment at the end that's a very well-known fact of the Bible. And we're going to judge the dead. We're going to reward the servants. We're going to reward those people 
that have been faithful to God, those who reverence your name, those who love you. That's what you want in your life. You want to be reverenced by, you want to reverence God, Roman, uh, Revelation 4 and 5. You want to praise the Lord. You want to lift his name up. There's lots of Psalms in the Old Testament about that. You want to thank him and glorify him. You do not want to be judged by the Lord in any kind of very negative way. Chapter 12 is the woman and the dragon. <laughs> okay. The accuser of our brothers, verse 10. Who accuses them before the Lord our God day and night has been hurled down. This is the devil. They overcame him. How'd they, how do we overcome the devil? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The lamb of God. Remember the lamb? Remember the lamb and Exodus when the avenging angel, a destroying angel comes and destroys everyone that did not have the uh, blood on the doorpost? Uh, Pharaoh's family, etc., etc., the people of Egypt and the people of Israel. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Who's the lamb? Jesus. By the word of their testimony. By what we say, what we believe, our faith. Those words are very, very strong. They did not love their lives so much as to shriek from death. Verse 12 of chapter 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. You don't think the devil is... Active and alive on planet Earth? Yes. His time is short. He's going to have an end date. And he has been thrown down to heaven and he is wreaking havoc as he is able to do that. Okay, very powerful. Re Revelation 14, 1 to 13. We're back to the lamb and the 144,000. We saw that uh, earlier in Revelation. Verse 6, I saw another angel flying in midair and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. The gospel is what we proclaim as the truth. And to every nation, tribe, language, and people, he said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. That's a good way to live. Fear God and give him glory. Chapter 15, seven angels with seven plagues. Now, I can't interpret that exactly. I would need some serious commentary work to do that. But here it is a, some more simple language to appreciate. Great and marvelous are your deeds. This is verse 2. Boy, that's a long verse. Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Verse 3. Who will not fear you, O Lord? Verse 4. And bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, and your righteous acts have been revealed. One of the things that is happening in Revelation is you get this very big picture and this very big view of life. This very big view on the stage of what God is doing. And he's doing a great thing at the end of time. He's doing a great thing with, the, with Jesus. He's doing a great thing in destroying the devil, as we will see in uh, later chapters. Chapter 15, and then finally chapter 17. Chapter 16 is pretty amazing. And then you have the woman and the beast in 17. So these middle chapters are difficult. About chapter 8 to 17, 19, 18 are pretty tough. Then 19, 20, 21, 22 are a lot uh, simpler in terms of to understand. 17, 1 through 14, lots of evil going on right here. Um, uh, mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes in the middle of chapter 17, verse 5, and the abominations on the earth. I saw that the one was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who 
bore testimony to Jesus. I mean, there's just rich imagery, very shocking almost, very powerful language. Um, uh, the beast in chapter 17, uh, 10 horns, 10 kings, verse 12. The lamb overcomes him because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And that's the thing we want to remember. We are going to be... We are going to be winners. We are going to succeed. We are going to be victorious because the Lamb has overcome them and will be with him, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. You want to be a follower of God. You want to be a follower of Christ. You want to be uh, victorious. You're only victorious because Christ is, over, is victorious in destroying the power of the enemy and the power of evil. You see that displayed in a kind of a gross form in Revelation. It's just sometimes the imagery uh, is very difficult. It's very creative. It's very profound. The meanings are very different. They're just sometimes hard to interpret. Okay? Enjoy your reading. Take it slow. Don't be frustrated if you don't understand what it means. Matthew chapter 13. This is a little bit easier to understand what it means. This is a little bit easier to understand what it means. 36 to 43. This is the parable of the weeds explained. Okay, this is the weeds are pulled up. Remember I talked about the weeds last time, burned in the fire, verse 40. The Son of Man is going to send out his angels and they'll weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and, do, and does evil. The folks that do evil and the people that do evil, they are not going to uh, get away easily. They are not going to miss the judgment. They will actually be judged. Everyone who does evil will be condemned. Look what it says in 42. They will be thrown in the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and the righteous, in verse 43, I hope that's all of you, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear what he is saying. Continuing on, I love 44 and 45 and 6. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, a woman found it, he hid it again. She hid it again. And in his joy, in her joy, sold all that she had and bought that field. You find the treasure in a field. You hide it. You go and buy the field because you recognize the value of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, 45 and 46 to 13, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. The person finds the treasure. The person is looking for fine pearls. They sell everything they have. What is the value of the kingdom? Infinite. It is everything. It is everything that's significant and everything that's important. You sell everything you have. You buy the field and now you have the treasure. You give yourself up to the kingdom. The kingdom is what lasts. Another parable, the parable of the net, catches all kinds of fish. They pull it up on shore. This is how it'll be at the end of the age. We're going to separate the wicked from the righteous. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You've heard that line many times, I'm sure. Okay? And then he talks about a prophet being without honor in his own place. He goes back to Nazareth. And he can't do very many works there because the people didn't believe. Jesus says, only in his hometown, in his own house, is a prophet without honor. He could not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. 
Lack of faith is not good, brothers and sisters. It's not good. You want to trust the Lord. You want to believe what he says. You want to act upon his word. We finish off in chapter 14. Notice this in, your, uh, in this post that we have for you today. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, chapter 14, John the Baptist is beheaded. Oh, that's pretty rough. Then Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, this extraordinary miracle of Jesus's and the unfortunate uh, death of John the Baptist who's in prison. But believe me, his uh, time in heaven will be quite extraordinary. And then Jesus is going to walk on water. You've heard of him doing that before. There it is in the scriptures. He's walking on water. This is the fourth watch of the night, which is 3 a.m. in the morning. They are terrified. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter gets out of the boat, starts sinking. Lord, save me. Jesus reaches out his hand. You of little faith, why did you doubt? No. So you got a man that walks on water. They're terrified. He gets in the boat. Or actually, he didn't get in the boat. He stood out on the water, and Peter got out of the boat, walked toward him, doing fine until he took his eyes off of Jesus, dr- was going to drown, or at least he was going to sink or be in peril. Jesus saves him and says, you of little faith. They worshiped him. Truly, you are the Son of God in 32. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him. 36 of chapter 14, and begged them to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched him were healed. Now, if you put together the fact that this man can walk on water and heal anybody just by the touch of the cloak, why would you step out of the boat and be afraid in any way? Or why would you, as they early in an earlier reading, uh, the wind and the waves are coming up and he's sleeping and they're scared to death they're going to drown? That can't happen around Jesus. As you're reading these great scriptures this week from Ezra, Nehemiah, the book of Revelation, and Matthew, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and your soul and your mind as you spend some time in these scriptures and listen to what the Lord is saying. It's a good, eclectic uh, grouping of scriptures, quite different. Look for some similar threads that you see in them and how God is working from Genesis to Revelation. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. Have a wonderful week of learning and reading, study and reflection. And we'll see you next week. God bless you.